You're listening to Big Sore Naturals. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. 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 When I'm smoking greens, cause I'm on your team. When I smoke the seed, cause I'm such a fiend. High as a kite, smoking Walter White. When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple. Smoking on the blunt, cause I wanna run. Smoking on the green, cause it makes me lean. Smoking on the ground, I smoke and scream. When I hit the blunt, it's a quick cut. When I hit the blunt, I get fuck. When I hit the blunt, I don't give a fuck. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. Hello, pay pigs. Hello, prayer warriors. It's good to. Uh, well, I can't see you or hear you, so whatever. Um, how are you, Cerise? I'm really good. Didn't you just have a birthday yesterday? How old are you? I did. I did. I am. I am 28, which is a good number. I feel like 27 was was a was a very mid number, and it's not just because it was like a birthday during a pandemic, but more just like I don't I don't love like the the feeling of like an odd numbered birthday. Oh. I'm it's really excited good. to turn 27, actually. I have oh, yeah? some pretty big ideas for my 27th birthday party. I'm going to I'm gonna do 27 club costume party, and everyone has to come as their favorite member of the 27 club. And, and doubles are fine, but no one can do doubles with my outfit, which is going to be Internet Explorer. Um, oh, amazing. Amazing. That, that got Maybe... killed when it was 27. Maybe I could be dial-up internet and I could have, like, little phone buttons all over, oh, like, the front of my outfit. That'd be cute. if it lived for 27 years, but okay. Oh, right, right, right. Um, so, what's the title of this episode again? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what can the metrosexuals of 2008 teach us about austerity core, um, which is a thing that I've decided is coming because the recession is on its way, um, like basically a whole year ago now, which is weird. We um, put out our episode, Stop the Resurgence of Pro-Anna Propaganda Right Now or Low-Rise Jeans Will Become Popular Again and You Will Have No One to Blame But Yourself, um, where we like made the connection between rigid beauty standards and the rise of fashion. And so like we're trying to uh, narrow our focus for this episode and just thinking about the looming 2022 recession, which maybe it'll come in 2023, but I, I think it's on its way. Um, Everyone I, keeps talking about whether we're officially in a recession or not, and well, nobody seems to have a, I, a general decision made yet. how to find that out, because I, I had to learn that uh, recently, but... Um, yeah, just like thinking about how that's coming and like what effects it's going to have on the culture. Um, and so we're looking back at the last great recession, which is 2008 and like what shifted when we left the early 2000s era of, uh, perpetual fear of the terrorists, um, but also like economic prosperity to the 2008 era of the recession and hope and change at least for a minute. So to get to define a recession, I looked it up. Um, it's just two quarters of negative GDP growth, and GDP is the market value of all final goods and services produced in a specific time within a country. Um, so it's just like two financial quarters of the line going down, and that's and that's it. Um, and I learned really recently when I was talking to a friend that like knows more about finance stuff than I do, that the United States was officially out of um, the 2008 recession by June 2009, 
because the recession ends just like when the line starts going up um, and it like officially began in 2007, uh, but December 2007. So like basically the very, very start of 2008. Um, but I think we're going to mostly ignore the line going up stuff and define the recession as like the the vibe of everyone being broke, because I don't think that I mean, I, I didn't feel like it was over um by 2009 and i don't think that anyone else in the real world did um but the people that study the lines they say that an actual recession is coming soon and so we like wanted to analyze this most recent one to see how things shifted and give us an idea of what to expect um and kendall and i are only only two years apart um and right we're both definitely old enough to remember the recession and I think I was mm-hmm. paying way too close of attention to like the 2008 election cycle so I remember that very well um, we thought it would be better to bring on an expert who is like paying better attention at the time and is also a genius um, and like just help us talk about what um, like beliefs and ideas and like changes at the time like got expressed um through like pop culture in 2008. So Nicola, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I think that's such an elegant way to call me older than you. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked that. That was really nice. Uh, Yes, I'm I'm a proud 33 year old female. Um, (laughs) And I was of age in 2008, so that's really my claim to fame here. Well, we're really not that many years apart, but I think it makes such a huge difference when... Oh, absolutely. It really does with this kind of thing, especially, like, being... The difference of being, like, a teen versus, like, being in your 20s or whatever. Like, you just definitely experience things differently. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my cousins who were, you know, graduating college around the time that the recession was cra- was crashing versus me being like going into freshman year of high school. Yeah. Very different even, levels, you know. Like all like kids who who lost their homes and then had like just radically different experiences of being in like elementary school to like middle school or something like that is very right. different than like actually I was in college at the time and it was it felt like a good time to be in college, honestly, because I was like, oh, I can just, like, do this for a couple of years. And by the time this is over, you know, maybe that'll shake out. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's just, like, so different to get to be, like, a real adult at the time. But the I think that besides just being older than me, the other reason I was um, excited to talk to you about this is because I think that you and I have gone back and forth on Instagram for, I guess, a year complaining about the term indie sleaze. Um. <laughs> and also, and also that, like, the historical inaccuracy of people calling, like, 2014, but they mean 2012. Oh, or, like, I know. Saying, like, I, it just, it, for whatever reason, like, that just makes me, like, itchy when people, like, don't know, like, quite what they're talking about, but have oh, such authority for it. Oh, it drives me insane. So I did a lot of, like, research because I have my own, like, bad memories of the time, but I did do a, a lot of research for this to make sure that, like, I actually, like, fact-checked years and shit. So I'm really excited to talk about this because this is the first, like, like comeback, like, um, I mean, in terms of, like, financial, which 
honestly, like, I feel like what we're talking about with recession right now is very different than, like, the Great Recession. Like, we're not going to have a second Great Recession. Like, having a recession is not equivalent to, like, what happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, like, hopefully a, like, once-in-a-lifetime or forever type thing. Probably not, but, like... Well, I think even if it isn't once-in-a-lifetime, it felt like it at the time, and if another one happens, it it will not. COVID. Yeah. It really feels similar. I feel like it's, like, 9-11, Great Recession, COVID. Like, all three of those things were just, like, whoa. Like, the just, like, bottom dropping out under you. Yeah. Visibly, like, remember in my head, like, when the recession hit, and just, like, because my parents were still getting paper newspapers... So like literally like just seeing like those iconic like photos of all of these like dudes in Wall Street just like absolutely like bereft, like hunched over, heartbroken, like these photos of like families like losing their homes, like those things were just like it felt like something was like COVID not to be like, like yeah, 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 like everything just sort of like industry crashing and then also like people's lives crashing. Like it definitely Obviously, it's very different, but it does, like, kind of feel similar. But this is the first kind of, like, so comeback in terms of, like, um, like this economic climate, but also, like, style and stuff, which I know we're going to talk about, which is kind of, like, my background's like more in that. Um, I ha- I This is my first time getting to experience something like that, like, as an adult. Like, I was there, like, the 90s comeback was kind of familiar, but it wasn't so personal because I was, like, a kid and not even a teenager, but, like this kind of, like, hipster resurgence, like, quote, indie sleaze thing is something that, like, I was actually, it's the first time I've had something that was actually there for, like, happen again. And I don't know, it's, like, very interesting experience. And, like, I would think it would make me kind of mad to be, like, oh, this, like, thing I was there for is, like, coming back. But for some reason, it's, like, very fun and I'm really enjoying, like, oh, the cobra snake is back? Like, whoa, okay. Like, I don't know, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really interesting I, to see. I think like the the ways that things that uh, were not that fun or like didn't seem that exciting at the time are getting like uh, romanticized as like a really cool and special thing from that that era. Like I know someone who is twenty or nineteen, and she was like talking about how she likes to use Instagram filters as a throwback. And she was like, it, it's like, you know, it reminds me of a I've simpler time. Yeah, I knew <laughs> this was coming. And I've been, I like, yeah, of course. Like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's, it's just actually kind of fun um, to see. But you have a really important, like, distinction written down in our notes that I think it needs to get out there. Because in addition to everyone confusing 2014 for 2012, I think we need to define indie versus hipster or sorry indie versus hipster before we do anything else (laughs) yeah this is something i'm like if i was more disciplined i would just like write something about this and get paid you know like a nice 200 dollars or something like that (laughs) to publish it somewhere so like yeah not really worth my time but i love talking about this so i think there's a really important definition of terms that is being uh disregarded right now which is indie versus hipster so to me like, and I, like, whatever, like, grew up in, like, a DIY music scene or whatever, and then went into, like, moved to New York, got more into, like, fashion, and then wound up in media. So that's my little, like, trajectory, just to give this some background. But my my opinion is that indie 
initially, and like it means something different now, but if you're thinking like 90s dubs, that was like independent, alternative, like classic counterculture, because there was a mass culture in the way that there isn't now. And that also aligned with having like different values and virtues. Like at the time, it was like being a vegetarian, riding a bike instead of driving a car, like men being open feminists and downplaying masculinity and aggressiveness being against the Iraq war, like all of these things were, a lot of this stuff is like really normal now, but at the time it really was different. And people set themselves apart visually with like different haircuts and different styles. And at the time it was like a lot of thrifting and kind of like moppy haircuts. So then what happens from there is like the idea of hipster, which was a pejorative, it's like an insult to call someone a hipster. And it was because or still is because it was someone who had the indie look, but no values. So that's exactly kind of what like indie sleaze translates to hipster because it's like indie aesthetics, but like completely sleazy, empty, like hollow, complete aesthetics, like no values. And so hipster is a perfect word and it doesn't need to be translated. We just need to use hipster. I don't know where indie sleaze came from, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't like it. It's like imprecise, I guess. Oh, yeah, it's I, absolutely I looked, imprecise. I tried finding out where it came from, and it just looks like like TikTok, somewhere on TikTok it originated. I mean, where, but... where else do, does, like, imprecise, like, dunderheaded <laughs> fucking, like, just, like, like, the most inaccurate forms of, like, sourcing and citing and media literacy come from than TikTok? You know, yeah, that's and just it also where... makes it impossible for us to like cite wherever it exactly came from. Like, there's mm-hmm. a an Instagram account now that's like at Indie Sleaze, but that came after the term was coined. So I, I don't know who so. came with that. Like, I remember that Instagram account popping up, and they were posting a lot of um, like Cobra Snack, Cobra Snack, Cobra Snake, and last <laughs> night's party like throwback pictures. And then I saw most recently that they moderated whoever is behind that account moderated some talk or like opening with the Cobra snake for his new, like art book about mm-hmm. his, like his pictures. <laughs> it seems so I, don't, like also, like, I don't know. A lot of the indie sleaze, like mood boards and TikToks and all of that seem to come from like very, like one specific, like version of the nightlife that was just mm-hmm. like, the Terry fucking fo- like but high flash photos. And the- back, uh, what's his face? Terry Richardson. And I'm not looking yeah. forward to it. There's going to be yeah. an intersection of the me too backlash that's happening and the indie sleaze moment. And <laughs> Terry Richardson is going to no, start I working know. again. And I don't I'm want to out of his grave. Like it's I'm already just, I feel like I'm witnessing things. Sorry, my dog's barking. Um, I feel like I'm witnessing things already where I'm like, the girlies are diminishing themselves, but they think they're being like, post, 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 whatever. And I'm just like, no, like, it's happening again. I I see people sharing like throwback photos of celebrities being like, look at this cool photo shoot. And it's, it's always Terry Richardson. And I just, I can't, I can't live through that one more time. It's that like Um. Williamsburg (laughs) nightlife. And to me, just like the indie movement and like, especially like in terms of music, it was like way more than just like that one borough of New York, you know, like it it was a huge, huge movement. Cause it was like like all over the place in like every major city. Like, yeah. The blog sphere or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was spreading. Yeah. It was everywhere. And like, 
you know, you could you could go to the, you you could throw a rock in like Buffalo, New York, and mm-hmm. like find like the next big indie band like the next day. You know, it was that kind of like sphere, and right now it's being kind of diminished to just like and like. A big thing about that was that bands were able to connect over MySpace. Like that was mm-hmm. MySpace stayed along, stayed alive for so much longer than I think anyone expected, and it's because it was a utility tool for like DIY bands to be able to get in mm-hmm. touch with each other and find out like where the houses were and like oh like I lived in Milwaukee, which would be halfway between if you're going from Minneapolis to Chicago or something like that, and you wanted to make your drive a little shorter. So like when that like I think that that stretched out the lifespan of like MySpace a lot but it also allowed these ideas to spread not just like online but it was spreading like physically but also like through online but not purely online so it was just like I don't know just like a ratio shift kind of yeah yeah there was a there was a more of a blend than just like now it seems like uh once again like TikTok is the zeitgeist but it's the it's the only thing that like people use anymore to uh, promote their music because it mm-hmm. like just if if you get lucky, it gives you a giant boost. Like you get one I, of your songs used as a sound, boom, you're off. I but there's no organizing of shows yeah, or like any of that blend of real life. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. it's it's completely these, like on the app, like fully. I, I heard these music. <laughs> these music industry professionals sitting next to me at a cafe because I'm, I'm in LA and they were sitting next to me talking about trying to like get a TikTok artist while they were still like affordable or whatever. And I just was like, Oh my God, it's so real. The trending sounds. And I pitched an article today, literally about like trending sounds as a way that like musician it's, it's yep. bleak, but also like if you play that game, like I get it, like play that game. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what's happening with my my roommate right now is that her band took off really fast in the past couple of months because of, of TikTok. And it's funny because like it doesn't seem like it is translating into new listeners, but it's it's getting her enough attention that like she's able to do things with it. But you go look at the sounds that her songs are on and it's like teenagers doing like anime cosplays like completely unrelated to the lyrics of the song and it just like took on that life and then they're getting like tons of streams it's really funny how how pornographic is tiktok gonna be before like something changes because some of the shit i've seen on there they would not put on youtube like oh yeah i swear to god like i don't know it's 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 kind of crazy to me like how unregulated the content is. Yeah, I really, I, I think that Trump should have shut it down in 2020. I, I agree, yeah. It's simultaneously completely unregulated, and then when they do regulate, they are completely uncommunicative. Yes. I have gotten, like, banned more times than I could count mm-hmm. over things that, like, literally, I, I, uh, I have a mutual recently that made a video where she was like, I got banned from posting um, because one of my videos... <laughs> Uh, got taken down for slurs and what I said was women be shopping um ah! <laughs> like it's not a slur not a slur yeah. <laughs> but like, like that just kind of like is also really sensitive but they're like overly sensitive all the time everywhere and on TikTok it's just like yeah why are you censoring that but then there's like I don't even want to describe some of the things it's absolutely obscene what's happening on that app <laughs> I just mm-hmm. like I can't believe it yeah um, it's crazy okay it's wait nuts. 
we have to we got to go back uh <laughs> oh, back to the <laughs> where, past yeah where were we in 2008 oh, i yeah. want to know before only fans um <laughs> you guys go first uh i feel like yeah. your answer is going to be the most interesting um but sure kendall you can you can go ahead of me uh what do i remember oh my god okay so from 2008 i was absolutely in middle school i People don't people don't know this. Tumblr started way before 2014. Okay, like it I sure was on did. Tumblr <laughs> on 2008 when it was like it's still a clunky little website and is still is, but it's a little better. Back when they didn't even have a blocking feature yet, which makes no goddamn sense. It was around; you could absolutely block people on other sites, but they just didn't have it. Um, I was uh, on Violet Chachki's Tumblr looking at all the music that she reposted every fucking day. Um, I was, I thought I was super cool because I still had like an iPod classic and like people were getting into like retro music and everyone else had like an iPod Nano. And I was like, look at me with like my big clunky iPod classic. It has more storage than yours. <laughs> I had, I had blunt bangs. Uh... <laughs> And um, I was, I, you know, I was going to, um, I was a theater kid, but then I was also going to, because um, DC also had like kind of a DIY music scene. And I was going and pretending that I was like 18 and wearing like big clunky heels. Um, so I saw like a lot of local DC bands that were crazy. I don't know if they were good. <laughs> I can't quite remember if that <laughs> was like part of it. But like, it was around the time where I was like really getting into music. Um, like for the first time, I feel like I had finally woken up and gotten taste. Um, obviously because like you become a little more self-realized as a middle schooler and realize that you are a person outside of yourself. How and that could come you? with like, I was, I was like 14. Um, okay. like in, it was like in eighth grade. Yeah. And like, I, you know, like I, that can come with its like challenges obviously like you become self-actualized in terms of like like you start to realize that you're a person that other people see and you become really insecure which is definitely happening but i also started to realize like that i could have like a critical eye for things um and that was definitely the big thing that was happening at the time also i was listening to sky ferreira over and over again <laughs> Just I feel like over and over again. When you're like 13, 14 years old, you're such a sponge. And it's mm -hmm. like, I'm really glad that like I was able to like be part of like a whatever, like alternative scene or whatever at that age because I was so curious but not embarrassed. And so yeah. I was just listening to like so much music, watching like weird movies, just like completely following the trail. Like, yeah, I think that those ages, it's really cute because you're not embarrassed yet. You're just, like, totally, yeah. like, waking up to the world. Yeah, I only, I, I became embarrassed with, like, what I wore and how my body looked, but never my taste. Like, yeah, that exactly. was that was yeah. something I could, like, I could die by. I was like, I am, I definitely have the best taste of everyone in my, in right. my school. Like, I felt that. <laughs> I felt that in my core. I was like, yes. Power. Yeah, it does. It really feels empowering in a way where, like, you, like, they can make fun of my body. They can make fun of my hair. They can make fun of like the way I walk and talk, but they could never have the kind of taste that I had. That's how I felt. And it was, it was weird, but like it, it worked, you know, it became like kind of almost like an armor in that way. No one else knows Absolutely. besides me, what it's like to listen to Sky Ferreira. I'm yeah. the only one. <laughs> you really feel that though. You're like, cause like, 
I didn't want to talk to anyone in school about like me looking at music blogs. I thought like nobody's going to understand. Someone would like there were scene kids at my school. They would have understood. Mm. But I just felt like this is mine and it's like precious to me and I have to hold it dear. Yeah. Um, unless I'm going to the shows and then I'll go like with my friends and we'll we'll talk and stuff. But like a lot of the stuff I kept to like just my little blog and just posting all my little things. Yeah. Ugh. Great time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was younger. I was 12 in 2008, mm-hmm. but I was already, I don't know, like I um, was thinking about this the other day when I was talking to my roommate about streaming where um, I was so like adamant that I needed to have like really good taste in music. So I had a like a notebook going of all the recommendations I had ever gotten so that I could go like check out those recommendations and then cross off like who was good and who wasn't and then download them onto my, I also had an iPod classic because it had the most storage. And I was taking the project of like finding the best music really seriously, which um, I think that like, it's not that people don't do that now, but it is probably a little bit easier to not do it because I think the Spotify algorithm and like the Apple music algorithm, whatever, it's all pretty good at like predicting what other kinds of music that you might like. So you don't have to like, go actively search for it as much. Um, but I was also from a really small town in New Jersey. So I thought I was the only person that knew about anything. I remember I watched like an episode of Twin Peaks for the first time because I found it on a VHS tape at a thrift store. And I thought that I was the only person ever that that knew about it. Um, and there were a lot of like bands that were definitely pretty popular that I was like, no, no one knows about this besides me. Um, I was, because you didn't have, like, the onslaught of, of like, feeds online yeah. telling you that like-minded people also knew what you knew. Like, you had that, yeah. like, isolated moment of being, like, only I know about this, even though, like, well, honestly, maybe, like, 20 out of 20,000 other people knew about it in the U.S. Yeah. or something like that, like, some smaller band. But now you would be exposed to, like, 5,000 of those people and be like, oh, everyone knows about this, even though it's still only like 20,000 people know about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was reading a lot of like music reviews and stuff at the time in order to like find more things that were similar to what I was into. And I was, uh, like regularly taking trips to New York to go buy clothes. Um, I like insisted that my, I, my, my mom's like friend had a daughter who was like 19 or something and had a car and like I was like you have to let me come with you to go shopping um because there were no good clothes in South Jersey it was all the mall and I didn't know yet that like Philly actually has a lot of really cool things here but you uh it's it's all like thrift stores and like boutiques and stuff but the like official fashion district of Philadelphia is a a Burlington coat factory and that's that's literally <laughs> what it is on the on the map. So you have to you have to know about things, um, which I didn't at the time. But I knew that you could like go buy cool clothes in New York. So I was going like every weekend to buy stuff, and then I would come back to school, and all of the kids would be like, "What the fuck are you wearing?" Um, because I was I was already on the like I guess like indie uh, like fashion path and everyone else was wearing Hollister and Abercrombie and stuff. So I just looked what weird. What kind of also, hair did you have? Uh, I didn't do anything with my hair at the time because I my hair is naturally dark. And so to like 
dye I tried dyeing it purple and I was distraught that it didn't do anything to it because you have to bleach it it first um but I did cut my own bangs uh every so often and they always looked bad but I thought it looked like really cool because they were like choppy bangs um but yeah I think I, I I was not I was not quite cool yet, but I thought I really was. And I felt like I was the only person that was doing what I was doing also. Yeah, totally. I um, did try that Kool-Aid uh, dye, hair dye <laughs> trick where you just soaked your hair in Kool-Aid. Like, I tried that for so long. Um, it did not take very well at all. <laughs> but it was the only way I could get dyed hair for, for, like, any of the shows that I was going to because I thought I needed to have dyed hair. And my parents mm-hmm. were like, absolutely not not gonna happen and I kept like just pouring Kool-Aid into this giant punch bowl and just like sitting there with it this is another thing that annoys me about today is like like I'm always saying like pink hair used to mean something like now okay it it did (laughs) now it doesn't matter like I'll just like you'll be at the most like I have this vivid memory of being in Tucson Arizona at like a chain bakery and this girl had like pink like princess leia buns or whatever and she was just this like pimply normal like teenage girl working this like bakery job like in arizona but i was like yeah like you're not alt and it doesn't matter but it's just so weird thinking like what a rebellion it was to have oh yeah and now it's like it doesn't mean anything it's not green and pink hair well, you yeah, can yeah. you could not go to a salon in two thousand eight, like pretty much anywhere, and tell no. them to give you green hair. Um, no, you had to like do it you had to and... do it yourself because anyone would look at you crazy if you were like, "Give me green hair," and yeah. you had to go buy well, bleach yourself, how. and you had to go buy manic panic, and then you had to like get a friend to do it in your bathroom or something, and so it, it usually looked kind of shitty, which I think was like yeah. part part of the. I don't know. Like the aesthetic was just like that. It, it was very it, obviously hair that you did your yourself. Like, yeah. It made your hair like weak and thus kind of like choppy and like disproportional. Cause it was like breaking at certain points. Like you couldn't yeah. go like get, like go to a place where like they know how to bleach hair and like then apply things and like do it in a way that keeps your hair like supple and soft. Like you just had to do it at home and have like shit hair. Yeah. Okay. Where were you in 2008? Okay, I I was, like, 19 turning 20. I had gone to college for one semester in Chicago, and then I decided to move to New York, but I wasn't, like, in school yet, so, because I had a really bad GPA. So I was um, taking classes at, I wanted to go to FIT to do fashion design, and I wanted to get in there, but... Um, I needed to like raise my GPA. So I was taking classes like not as a student yet. So I couldn't live in the dorms. So I, like, I didn't know anyone like my age. So I had an apartment in Greenpoint with three other roommates, like all these girls who were like older than me and like lame. And (laughs) (laughs) I was working at (laughs) Buffalo exchange in Williamsburg, which was like literally like the best fashion education because like stylists and stuff, like alt stylists and stuff who lived in the neighborhood or like models or whatever would come in with all their samples back when that was like not just like excess product but like actual like samples and sell it off um so it taught me like a lot about 
designers in a way that I don't think of working at like a Buffalo exchange, like, I don't know, just anywhere. But I don't know. It was a very interesting experience. And I remember everyone was like really into like Rick Owens and like Margiela. And it was very like black and like goth and like asymmetric, like helmet length, which is strange because when I look back, I'm like, was that just like a micro? I also remember there being like a lot of Australians. Like I know that's a trope about like, like Australians going to New York for their gap year or whatever. But like, I do remember a lot of Australians with like the big black hat or tiny um, denim shorts. And I don't know, like I, it's weird. Like, it's like, I have these memories, but I can't exactly find like photo proof of them. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's kind of, I was just like, and with regards to the, the recession, like I definitely like was aware of it, but it was not something like so, so present in my day to day life because I think I was just so in like, like, I am trying to like make it like day to day. Like I'm just trying to like meet people. Like I don't know anyone. Like I was just very much like a like 19 year old, just like swimming, like trying to survive Mm -hmm. mode. But like, I was definitely aware of it. You know, what was cool was that I remember there was like in Williamsburg, especially there was all of these new developments that had been plotted out, like huge, like, you know, block wide new developments that were completely Mm -hmm. hollowed out construction has halted so the neighborhood just like it's like the the kind of formal gentrification of like housing had like started and then paused for like two or three years and it was like it wasn't like warehousey but it kind of felt like that because there were these huge stretches of block that were just like quiet because it was this like paused like housing development And now when I go back there, I'm like, oh my God, like it's so tall. Like all the buildings went up and like, it's huge. But it's like, that was like one thing that feels like, like I I wish I could find like more pictures or something from that era because thinking back, like that was actually kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I I do remember like there was a housing development by my high school that just like stopped construction and it was just these empty, like half built houses everywhere for like two years or so, maybe three it's crazy. It's like spooky in retrospect. Yeah. It's like kind of spooky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there mm-hmm. was a I'm so I'm like from right outside of Atlantic City. And so there was a lot of that like in AC because I think that Atlantic City was doing really well in the early 2000s and so there were all of these like new build casinos that were getting started and then like either they were just halted for a while or they they scrapped the project altogether and like I feel like that's that's really what I associate the recession with in my life was that everyone around me all of the adults they all like had jobs that were related to the tourist industry like if you didn't work in the casinos you like ran a restaurant that was like nearby or you worked in one the only people that didn't were people that were like teachers or doctors or lawyers like jobs that you have to have anywhere um and so everyone's shit was fucked up um like 2008 on everyone lost their jobs like a lot of people lost their homes um and it was just like everywhere because who is gambling um during a recession and uh i think even even after jersey shore came out which was like is that 2009 or 2010, it didn't really change, um, like, the amount of people coming to Atlantic City. And uh, I, like, grew up hearing Donald Trump's name my whole life because he, he, his name was on most of those. And he would go bankrupt every so often, and then everyone get, would get laid off. 
Um, so that was like my association with him for a really long time. And I remember like a bunch of his casinos closed and I think he maybe sold them off. Um, but yeah, that was, I think like the way that the recession like impacted my life there was just like all of that was going on. And I also started working when I was 14 in big part because like my, my parents just stopped having money to throw at me anymore. Um, and I wanted to keep shopping. <laughs> I, I wanted to keep going to the record store. Um, so I, I did start working like pretty young um, because of that. But I, I think like that brings me to the thing I really wanted to talk to you about, Nicola, which was like that I feel like in other like other periods of like, I don't know, like economic depression, was so different from 2008 just because of the like the like vibe of that time where it it felt like even though things were very bad um like people were not uh, I don't know like approaching it as like bleak as they might have been like in the 1970s or like um in the in the 90s when there was like a, a crash or or right now where like there were so many things that I think marked the end of, of bad stuff that happened in 2008, where like the Iraq war was potentially ending. That was what everyone thought was going to happen. George Bush was out. Tony Blair was out. We had the first black president, like all of these things that kind of like marked the beginning of something that I feel like the way things felt to me were that the, there was this like overall feeling of like, things can't get much worse than this. Um, you know, things are going to get better starting now. And even though there wasn't too much materially to indicate that being the case, and there was this kind of like disconnect of the way that things were, but then also I think the way that people were feeling about the time that they were in. Yeah. It's interesting, like going back and like reading stuff that was written at the time and then also reading stuff like reflecting on the time. Um because there is a lot of, like, I found a lot of, uh, like, dual points of view where I was like, wait, so was everyone being conservative and dour or were people looking for moments of joy? Like, it was very kind of, like, strange to kind of, like, go back and try to remember, like, objectively outside of your own feelings. But I do know what you mean where it's like, yeah, like suicide rates weren't like through the roof or something like that you know like I mean I'm sure that they did tick up but like there wasn't like uh there wasn't an end of the world it kind of does feel like at least in hindsight like that people sort of were like oh this is a really bad blip but it's a blip mm -hmm. yeah well and I, I think not only that it's a blip but that like things are about to get really good was sort of like the thing that I, I feel like I was noticing at the time where I think even if you weren't like a person that was really into Obama or something, but just that like the bad things that were happening in the early 2000s, pretty much everyone at that point was against the Iraq war. Like all of these things were sort of coming to an end. Um, and I think the way that I remember feeling about it and noticing other people was that it seemed like the recession was supposed to be like a, like tying up the end of like the the bad 2000s or like the things that weren't good then rather than like a marker of what was to come next um but that overall people were feeling pretty hopeful and that yeah, didn't there was... really change until like 
I don't know, like the time of Occupy. The conceit I got from a lot of people around two, uh, 2008, because I was living in DC and I was hearing a lot of like adults uh, talking about um, this stuff in front of me in particular, because I was, they felt like I was emotionally mature enough to handle um, it was that like, Bush left us with a mess and now we're going to clean it up and then it'll be over. <laughs> yeah, things are um, about to get really good. Things are going to get good soon. I can't, I can't help but keep giggling like every no, time. Cause it's just, hope, y'all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just at, like absolute audacity. And like when like, oh my God, when Obama was elected, like DC was a fucking madhouse. Like everyone was going crazy. They were having the best time of their lives. Uh, people on on every street corner were, were selling those those big ass t-shirts of the entire Obama family on them. It was <laughs> it was like every corner. Like I was walking to school and just like like fifty guys down the street all selling like the same shirt. <laughs> yeah, trying to get me to buy like this. This is a historic moment. You're gonna want this shirt because it's gonna appreciate wonder, in value. Yeah, no, I wonder. I think like is that the merchification of like presidential elections because i'm trying to think like before that like was there i mean obviously there's always been like like t-shirts and stuff with like the name of the candidate on it Mm -hmm. but like do you think with george bush there was like i feel like even just because it was like i mean part of what we're gonna talk about later sorry i'm jumping all over my head is just like the acceleration of fast fashion but part of that is because um it's not just an emotional change people want cheap clothes but it's also like production changed because of like technology and so things Mm -hmm. were able to be made much faster and in smaller runs for less money than it used to be very expensive to order like you know you would have to order like hundreds of each size of something and then shipping it all over the place so expensive blah 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 but I wonder like if that's it's a mix of like it became easier to make like boutique merchandise like small run merchandise and also the sort of like Obama felt like a celebrity at the time. Well, or, I, guess yes. that's, I think that that's like that. what made, I mean, the, the thing that people point to a lot for like why he was able to, to win and like what helped him gain a lot of traction so fast because he was a, a nobody um, before the like 2008 primaries was that he was so good at the internet when other candidates weren't. And it reminds me a lot of the uh, way that like people credit the televised uh, debates with mm-hmm. what made JFK win when he was running against Nixon because he just looked so good on TV and Nixon yeah. didn't want to wear makeup and he was like sweating and ugly. And I think that Obama's like campaign team really utilized like using uh social media and like online to turn him into this like ubiquitous icon that I don't think was as possible like prior to when he was running for president because of like not everyone was online in the same way in 2004 um or in the year 2000 and so I think it like combined with faster production cycles just allowed his campaign to like create a lot more iconography that that could be like sold and associated with him. He also was that perfect age of like young enough to be not obviously like a digital native, but familiar with the internet and the way that it works, but old enough to have a bit of stature that you're like, you're not like, who's this fucking kid running the car? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he was young, yeah. but he wasn't like, uh, 
it didn't feel like Pete Buttigieg or something like that. Like who yeah. feels like a little kid. Like he had yeah. like just the right amount of like gravitas, but also like in touch or at least like in touch with people who are in touch with the way they, I remember like they were doing fireside chats on like YouTube every week mm-hmm. or something like that. That was, was the like, year um, that they had the YouTube debate where they had all oh, of the candidates yeah. respond to YouTube videos. And I <laughs> specifically remember there was one where these two women were sitting together and it's like the most low res video, poorly lit. And they're just, they just go, would you guys let us get married to each other? <laughs> and, and literally, like, all of them had the most middling response. They were just like, oh, ho, ho, so cute. Uh, no. <laughs> Basically. No, like, it even is Obama crazy, was like, like, I mean, maybe sometime in the future. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but probably not. And then he did, obviously, in the end. But it was just very, I remember that so clearly. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I have to say it because um, it makes me crazy whenever I think about it. And then we don't have to talk about Obama anymore. <laughs> but 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 I just it has I have to say it, which is that Hillary Clinton started the Obama is a secret Muslim from Kenya who is not yep. an American citizen rumor. Yes, and I let get, that die. I go crazy when I talk to people who are like significantly older than me, voted during that time, should remember it. They don't remember it. I don't know why I need to remember it, but <laughs> <laughs> it this is that is what happened. She is the reason that that like rumor took on the life that it did. Um, and I don't know. It's just it's just like one of those things where it's like everyone seems to have forgotten it. I don't know why. Um, and it it genuinely does make me crazy whenever I think about it. Yeah, that it's is not really, yeah. It really was the year, I think, like, in terms of an election year, it was the year where, like, the internet started kind of, like, working its way in um, to, like, the conversation, um, like, just very literally with, like, the YouTube debate, but also just, like, generally, like, um, uh, candidates were just using it way more as a tool, like, let us not forget uh, Obama girl. I think think it might have only been, like, Obama and maybe one or two other people at the time, and that's kind of what made it unique but mm-hmm. um we gotta we gotta move on from obama because i will yeah. get upset i have too much to say about that man um yeah, yeah. Let's, keep, <laughs> let's keep it moving <laughs> um okay so i think like the first thing that we had to sort of set the scene for what was going on in 2008 and like what was shifting um from the pre-recession era was music and i'm uh i was looking at the list of top 100 songs from 2008 and it's it's so funny um but the number one song of the year was flow rider by <laughs> t-pain um a- along with lollipop by lil wayne love in this club um this was i think Katy perry's like first first year that she was a thing that people cared about because that was when i kissed a girl wow. came out and i don't know if people cared about her music before that but when i was thinking about 2008 or like the recession era it's all mid, like third verse rappers, like, and and third verse rappers on a song that should not have a rapper on it, like a pop <laughs> song that has someone come in on the third verse. They recorded it separately, um, and then like 
someone smashed it together but just like in general the like mainstreaming of rap and hip-hop sound without necessarily like mainstreaming rap songs um like I think that when I was looking at the top 100 lists from 2007 and 2008 or sorry and 2006 you can see that like 2008 was kind of the year that we signified the transition away from uh like pop rock like band guys um the like britney style of like pop pop girls um and instead like hip-hop and rap just becoming the dominant sound in hip music like in 2006 the number one song was bad day that that song that's like you had a bad day the one i hear at the grocery store all the time still yeah yeah. that was what they were (laughs) listening to in 2006 on the radio was grocery store music like you're beautiful uh, unwritten by <laughs> Natasha Bedingfield, like all these like pop rock hits, and then like you move to 2008, and there's a lot of rappers featured, um, but I no like rap like, songs. I was surprised looking at that list. Actually, I thought that it was later that rap became so high ranking because there was like a lot of Lil Wayne. Like that was Kanye's um, 808s and Heartbreak. Yeah, era. So he had a bunch of songs, but he also was like featuring on a lot of songs. So like, I was kind of surprised that there weren't more bands in 2008 because I thought that shift happened later. So, and also the music is very like, considering the sort of like supposed dourness of the time, like these songs are very like party, like happy, like overtly sexual like loving like being in the club like hedonistic kind of songs but yeah, very yeah. Like and all friendly. dance music yeah, yeah. very like melodic like you know like easy not cha- obviously top 100 never challenging but you know what i mean yeah it's like, it's all party uh, music dan- dance music that has like very overt like hip-hop and rap influences like chris brown is on the top 100 list so many times i know but yeah. like not on a single song where he raps it's all like chris brown singing um and i think that that's like that's like kind of like what was um i think the shift that was like taking place in music was just that everyone was like making use of the sound that was really popular but um, like, I don't think that rap fully took off uh, like as a thing that people listen to on its own in the same way uh, until like a couple years later. And I think part of that has to do with um, like radio play because the the top one hundred list is based on sales and radio play and now streaming. Um, and like at the time, it was a contentious issue that pop radio stations wouldn't play any rap songs um like it's still true now I was looking into this and Rolling Stone put out an article in 2018 that said like top 40 has a rap problem that said that uh rappers do not get play on top 40 radio stations and the rappers that have hits on the um like top pop songs chart which is like just top 40 um is or the the rappers that had number ones on that chart were Macklemore Iggy Azalea, Eminem, <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly, G Easy, NF, who I had to look up, and Drake. Um, and Drake, so obviously, I don't know if you can notice a theme with <laughs> uh, with this list of people that have uh, number ones. 
But uh, the the Drake song that was the number one is is One Dance, which isn't even a rap song. So yeah. like mm-hmm. radio, um, like pop radio, just has had a problem for a while of not wanting to play rap songs. And so the way that uh, I guess like to get featured as a rapper on a top forty station is you needed to be featured on a pop song. Like Kanye hasn't had a a top ten like pop charts hit since American Boy. Um, and like all of his albums have gone platinum since 2008, except for Jesus is King. And I think this was like a bigger deal in 2008 because more people were relying on music stations to discover new music. But it was also the same time that I think more people were beginning to like use MySpace and like buy singles off of iTunes and stuff. And mm-hmm. so like that would like boost the numbers for songs um, and artists that maybe weren't getting as much radio play. I think too, oh, yeah. like if you think back to, um, was it, I'm like, not going to remember correctly, but Nancy Reagan, I believe, who had, like, came down with uh, just sort of, like, purity measures about... That's yes, Tipper, Tipper it was Tipper Moore. It, it was Tipper Moore. Okay, sorry. Yeah. But it's, like, if you think about, like, the pop music at that time, like, they are coming out of, like, the echoes of that and, like, being like, oh, we're not allowed to play, like, quote, gangster rap because, like, we get in trouble for that having, like, violence or, like, dirty words or whatever. So it... It, it's definitely interesting, like, or I think it makes sense in a way that, I mean, just economically, yeah, I, that they wouldn't want that, to take a chance. Yeah. I think there's also a shift in the, like, from the 90s to the early 2000s, so with, like, focusing on, I like, I don't know what exactly to call, like, the Britney Spears style of pop music, but just, like, with, like, Swedish uh, dance music producers and like not very obvious like rap influences because um, in the 90s the like, R- chic, you know yeah like yeah. in the 90s like <laughs> R&B like was becoming mainstream in the same way um, and like there were just a lot of like R&B influences in like your average like top top 10 pop song and then I think the 2000s like marked this shift between like or, like with things becoming a lot whiter i guess with like all these like soft rock bands hey there delilah is like one of the hits from 2010 like it's Mm -hmm. top 10 and i just can't see a song that sounds like that being a top 10 hit in like 2014 Mm -hmm. like it it would it needs to have some trap drums or something on there Um, and i think like, like 2008 is like when that shift like began happening and i'd say that shift is because like streaming became more like streaming and websites that like hosted smaller artists who were able to become like online sensations without like the traditional record label process so in a way like fans were able to sort of like upvote were able to make things like quote viral or whatever like that was just beginning so like this moment is definitely a shift away from like the way that the music industry always functioned to it being like having to reckon with like virality and like fan whatever which of Mm -hmm. course they've now like manipulated in different ways um but it is definitely like that moment in time where like industry is definitely still working in the way that it's been working and it's like sort of not quite caught up to like what people actually want which doesn't get expressed until like a couple of years later 
like I yeah think it's it's interesting that you like point that out because when I was looking at the top 100 list from 2008 or sorry from 2007 like the number two song for that year is Umbrella by Rihanna um and that song was passed on by Britney Spears um, or like by her team they didn't even let her listen to it for her album Blackout um and you can like recreate the drum loop in Umbrella in GarageBand because that was how they made it and so it like kind of sound it has like parts of it that just sound really similar to uh like other rap and hip-hop songs that were like not made in a lab that were like homemade by people like just on their mm-hmm. computer um, well umbrella and- was made by the dream so yeah. like <laughs> no i mean but that's what i'm saying is that it like it sounds oh, like band, though, yeah yeah it sounds similar to like other music um that like maybe would not have gotten like the same uh like attention or like platform but um like and this is, is still right- a pop hit yeah, this is like right when Rihanna begins her transition from being because I think she and I like are around the same age, uh, approximately. Like, so she also must have been like eighteen, nineteen years old, and she was going from being like island sweetie with like an amazing voice to being like what we know her as now. Because her like people always talk about Rihanna and her amazing personal style, but she didn't start with good personal style. Like she definitely New cover girl wet slick fruit spritzers. Yeah, like she used to have just like wear like. She had, like, kind of a model-esque body and was just always wearing, like, it didn't look natural. The clothes were wearing her, blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. she linked up, like, with this one stylist, Mel Ottenberg. And I think, like, whatever, like, magic they had between them, like, gave her personal style or something. Because now it, all of her clothes look like she, like she's wearing them or whatever. And it, she can pull off, like, fucking anything. Like, girls are bearing their, like, bump, like, when they're pregnant, literally because she was. Like, in a way that is so noticeable but this was like she was still kind of like in transition at this time so yeah and it's speaking interesting seeing... oh go ahead oh yeah no, i was just i was thinking of like um going back to like you were saying like this was katy perry's like first big hit and like i remember very she was still going with that like bet page look and she had a lot of songs that kind of referenced the hipster era and she was kind of going for more of like i'm like part of the indie scene but i have like these mm-hmm. pop hits like Speaking to our title about metrosexuality, she had that song on the same album um, called "You're So Gay" (parentheses) and you don't even like boys. Um, big where fan she talks of about "You're So Gay." Yeah, <laughs> big big fan. It's a very you know, it's a it's it's one of her problematic hits. Um, but like the beginning of, of it is songs. one of her best songs, where she's literally talking about um, this guy that she knows who has an H and M scarf and reads Hemingway and drives electric cars and doesn't eat meat and he's so indie oh rock. My God. You're, you're so indie rock, it's almost art. You need SPF 45 just to stay alive. Like <laughs> she was she was very clearly referencing like a scene that she felt like she was still kind of like a part of um with these like pop hits that she had of like this look I've got the like, like blunt bangs and the twee outfits. Like I'm I'm like different from the other pop girls. I'm part of like the more Zoe Deschanel. Is she in her indie say, scene? Yeah, this is like, like Zoe there were Deschanel. all those like memes about like oh, what's the difference between Zoe Deschanel and like Katy Perry? Like you can't tell. Like and that was like one of the things like that she was kind of a part of that scene and like chipping her way into yeah. the pop world. Is she like if- had all these interviews where she's like I'm a disruptor and it's like <laughs> it's just very <laughs> funny working with like- Dr. Luke. Yeah. 
I bet if she'd yeah, that disrupts something. Years later, she could have gone like the Charlie or like do a Lipa route, but that route had not been carved. And she wasn't going to be the one to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I bet that if those lanes and like those models of being existed, I bet she would have like pushed herself that way. But it does kind of seem like oh, yeah, she would have collabed with this... some PC music. Like that would have yeah. been a big thing for her. Yeah, at the but time, she but like just, she just like, never got there. She chose the like. I guess I'll just become like Barbie-fied, and like mm-hmm. that will be my career, or whatever. Which is fine, whatever. You have to make practical yeah. choices. Hmm. But it's interesting. Like she really tried to kind of like be like, I'm part of like the indie scene. I'm an indie pop girl. You know, I'm not yeah. like a regular pop girl. Like she was trying to play to those interests, but like didn't work. Yeah. Like <laughs> she quickly abandoned uh, that after a while. This Wild. was like mass indie, like mass hipster, like that stuff was like, like I don't know when New Girl came on TV, but like obviously Zoe Deschanel or someone like that being this like extremely famous magazine cover having actress who looked like I would say she looked more like the indie girl than the hipster girl, but obviously like mm-hmm. blurry lines, like, but she, yeah, like that kind of person, like almost like like. Etsy, the type of like Etsy woman who would become like sort of being like teed up like in that time, like mm-hmm. uh, in that transition between there being truly like one mass culture, like a Jennifer Aniston is like the biggest actress in the world type thing to like what we have now where like you, someone can have millions of followers and the person like sitting next to them doesn't know who they are. I being yeah. on TikTok is is just that every day. I say who more yeah. times than I can count. Like yeah. it's just like there's people with 13 million followers. I have no idea who they are and they don't do anything, which is like there were plenty of people in like the 2000s who didn't do anything. Paris Hilton didn't do anything. Kim Kardashian didn't do anything. But that didn't mean that they like they didn't have some kind of cultural like value to exploit, you know? Um, but it's just interesting like these people yeah, yeah, there was way less competition. These girls, like, I don't know what value they exploit. I don't know who their agent is. I don't know where they're going and what they're doing. Whereas, like, it just felt like the bubble was way smaller. I knew, like, what these eras, because I was reading all the magazines. Like, I was, I loved celebrity gossip magazines. It was, like, a big thing for, like, it was my way of, like, this is going to sound very gender. Again, Cerise is going to, like, put this on my bingo chart. But, like, I felt like that was my way of, like, tapping tapping into femininity was, like, by reading, like, gossip magazines in a way that I couldn't access inherently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, in no, the same way sense. that other girls I knew could. And I felt yes. like, okay, I'm going to read all these gossip magazines and, like, I got to, like, figure out what all the, like, stars are doing. Because then I can, like, very unnaturally bring it up <laughs> to, like, people yeah. that I knew. And, like, I would, like, girls. know all the information. Yeah, it is sports. It's sports for girls. And I was, like, so into it. I knew exactly what all of them were doing. Like, at all times of the day, I knew all, like, the blogs and everything. And, like, I just, it was easier to keep track of those kinds of people. Now it's kind yeah. of, like, bubbles way too big. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea who half these girls are. Um, and okay. part of that sounds like me, like, being, like, old man yells at a cloud. But, like, some <laughs> of these girls, like, really, truly it's just proven that a lot of them have bought their fans. Like a lot of them have huge followings and And most of them are bots. And what do you get? Like a pretty little liars collab. Like what is the ultimate goal here? (laughs) You know, like I just don't, Uh, it's like eyeshadow palette with Morphe, I guess. Like, but maybe that was even like, that was even like before that was like maybe 2016. That was your big goal. Now I, 
I don't even know. <laughs> like, I don't know what the goal shill, would be. Shilling fast fashion, like, yeah, yeah. I have this thing that I've been thinking about, like around third verse rappers, which I know that we've moved on from a little bit. But I've like <laughs> the last time that I spoke about this with Nicole, she said something really interesting because the like the rate of like interracial marriages in the United States, it always goes up. Well, it's been going up since 1967, but like it always Mm. goes down a little bit um, when like the economy's doing well and then it goes uh, up really fast, like when the economy's doing poorly. And I think that it's just because like when, uh, like when there's more like upward mobility, like for for everyone, it means that there's definitely more like upward mobility economically for, for white people and the higher that you move in, the middle class, like the more likely you are to just be surrounded by other white people, the economy doing poorly hurts the the middle class the most, which isn't really a real thing. But like it, it still is like, you know, it's people who have homes, but they have a mortgage, they have a retirement savings, like they get college degrees, like assets that create stability, but also that if you lose them, you can't like, deal with losing them without it radically altering your life. Um, and I think that when, when you feel like you're you're safely like in this class status, you don't uh, like the the social like stratification between the middle class and the working class is something that feels more real, and you feel more separate from uh, people that have to like work for an income but like do not own their own homes. Um, but when things I guess are going poorly and people start losing. Um, like pieces of that that class status, like the racial distinctions that are like also invented, like they feel less real and you spend more time um, among people of color. And so I think that, yeah, like it, it gets like reflected in the art that people make and the art that people wanna consume. And I think that like in that time and uh, in other like times of like economic downturn like there's a lot of racial mixing that just happens like quickly and out of circumstance and it to me like feels very reflected in just like the random third verse rapper um on on songs um (laughs) and I don't know yeah just like also at at that time I think there, there became more like publicly known interracial couples too um, I think the Kardashians, mm-hmm. which like they killed the early 2000s socialites who were all very, very white, like they are probably our most famous, like well-known examples of interracial couples, um, which like also reflects like what was happening in real life because black men are more often in interracial couples than black women. It's like one fourth of recently married black men have a spouse of a different race and uh, it's only 12% among black women and I don't like I don't know I don't have too many predictions I guess about it right now but um something that I've noticed this time around is that things are actually just getting whiter as um like things get scarier and the economy is doing worse and I know that the last time that we talked about it you had some interesting things to say about it that I have kind of forgotten Um, (laughs) and I wanted to get you to say them again yeah oh my god I have so much to say okay one, I was reading this book from the 1970s about class. It's just called Class. And the author's take is that um, he thinks it's more about, like, attitudes and behaviors, basically. But, like, one way that he defines middle class is that it's people who have something to lose. Because if you're truly upper class, 
like you're insulated so you don't there's no way you can lose enough to yeah those are people that can weather a recession yeah and then if you're truly lower class you kind of have nothing to lose because you kind of have nothing so the middle class is sort of this like always kind of scared like on its toes group of people regardless of many different circumstances who have something to lose because they don't have enough to be fully isolated but they also aren't fucking down and out like fuck it mode um Mm -hmm. and I found that an interesting I don't know it's a good book overall it's interesting too to read that kind of stuff like from this like many decades ago but um with things getting whiter like I definitely it's very interesting to me that like Kim Kardashian is her like whitest looking ever like she Mm -hmm. is so petite like the waist to hip ratio has definitely decreased even though she's really really petite her curves are just like not it's not as hourglass as it used to be. have you seen her newest uh photo spread and interview yeah Um, yeah 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 yeah. that like full american pie like (laughs) yeah blonde blue-eyed jean jacket like bruce springsteen american Mm -hmm. flag in the black in the background sorry to uh besmirch Bruce uh Cerise I know as a jersey that probably <laughs> that probably got under your skin a little bit but like it, I thought she was Jeffree Star I was <laughs> literally I, hate I could not sprouts. recognize her yeah you it don't, really looks the thing bad is that, like beauty is about contrast so like bleach brows work if you have darker skin or something but on fair skin bleach brows just look, you look like disease like you look like something is not right like the holy ghost like having just being like an olive skinned person with bleach blonde hair you have to have like dark brows because that's what makes it like hit but Mm -hmm. um i also feel like okay honestly like in during the pandemic when we were all sitting at home watching like brutal murders on tv and protesting and all of that there was so much uh conversation and seriousness about like race and inequality and American history and all of this. And I do kind of feel like people are expired on it. They're like smooth brain, no thoughts. I don't want to feel bad about it anymore. Like, I think that there's a lot of people who like behind closed doors are feeling that way. I know that's like not nice or like good to say, but I just think it's the reality. No, the apathy no, is like massive. True. Yeah, it's pretty visible, really like that out. apathy. Like, and I also, and so, do you feel like it's like a retreat into like whiteness and like making whiter art as a way of like not having to, I don't know, like think or engage with these things? Well, I think there's definitely, obviously, like institutions took the moment to like a place of like wokeness being like incorrect and embarrassing right so I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people being like oh that musician that museum put up that exhibit and it was totally in bad faith because they know they have a bad history of blah 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 and they never would have featured that artist but they're doing it because they have to like many examples of this so I think people are feeling just like really jaded about I don't even know what to like call this stuff anymore like what is even the term that we bucket all of this under like I know you guys know what I mean by like this like uh, all of this like, yeah. like social <laughs> yeah. I don't know like what to even like really call it anymore like I'm at a loss for words like but I think people are basically I think like Joe Brandon let a lot of people like put their damn feet up and they were just like oh that was a tough four years you know and mm-hmm. I think yeah people just got kind of like burnt out and tired about caring so much mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the it's this like just like lull of apathy that people mm-hmm. are very comfortably sitting in. It's like um, the white guilt only had X number of hours of like burn time, like a candle, you know, mm-hmm. and the candle was mm-hmm. burning for so many yeah. years that it's like it just like exhausted itself or something. Well, that's why I don't like know that I... for sure. I just feel like that's kind of what's happening, like bubbling under the post woke type thing. Oh yeah, yeah. and like yeah, that's interesting, and I and I feel like. I don't know, because in, in like, the beginning of the recession era, there was so much, like, racially mixed art that was happening, but I don't think any of it was, uh, well, not much of it was, like, in, in good taste or, like, like racially sensitive, you know? Like, it was just, like, what was, like, getting getting made, and I think that that kind of, like, reflected also the way that people were maybe just getting thrown into environments for the first time where they were having to spend time with people that weren't the same race as them um, and then just, like, having to make it work. And I don't think that, like, Katy Perry's uh, E.T. featuring Kanye West, <laughs> could, it, could, it could not come out today. There's nothing, I, there's just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Um, and... I don't know. It's it's like I, I can see it kind of happening with music now too, where we're like getting a lot more white rappers. Um, there's been an white explosion of back. white rappers like in the past couple of years. Yeah. yeah, white guys are back, um, and I think also <laughs> just like like pop music is getting whiter too. Like I'm hearing less of the like hip hop influences, and so it's it's just like an interesting thing to look at when I was seeing the top 100 list of yeah. 2008, where it was like, oh, this is when things were like really really happening here. And now we're, we're shifting away from that again. Yeah. And it, um, yeah, it feels like there's more like in it. Yeah. It definitely feels like the label bosses or whatever. were like, Oh, we, or like the movie heads or whatever, like these, these big guys with the big jobs that they all were like, all right, we checked the boxes. We did the quota and now we can go back to business as usual. Like it is, really yeah. hard. but that's what it feels like because, because all of the like inclusion felt so, disingenuous on the part of honestly most actors but like on the part especially of like institutions yeah well I think when something feels disingenuous and you like believe in the like the movement that it's supposed to represent but then you don't have any idea of like okay how do I tap myself into this and do something meaningful because everything just seems like useless or bad then you decide to just get used to the problem or or not care and I think that that like for uh, besides people who are like pretty actively like involved in organizing or like doing doing something like I think for the average person it might just feel like there's nothing for them to do that would actually mean anything and they keep getting told that you can like stop racism by shopping at yeah uh, like somewhere and so then it's like okay I'll just I'll just not do anything yeah Um, no this makes me think about the difference between indie and hipster again where mm -hmm. it's like feeling that ultimate nihilism where you're like whatever I guess I'll just like dress and act the way that's like quote-unquote cool but I don't really believe any of this stuff or I won't like I've come to this through means of like wokeness or whatever in this case that I haven't really like been truly educated like from the ground up and like what it is that I'm supposed to believe in it really is just like a trend that I've stepped into because it's just part of what's going on right now like guys painting their fingernails black and stuff you know yeah just like, what totally. are you like what are you where do you where do you think this is coming from like are you just Carson dailying it over here like 
Uh, <laughs> it definitely feels much more like style over substance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel next, like a lot of people oh, could okay. listen, like people younger than us could listen to this uh, whole episode and and be like, whatever, old people, like <laughs> like you you just like don't get it. Um, and like I think to a certain extent, like yes, personally for me, like m- yeah, my nostalgia does inform some things. I try to not let it, but like it happens sometimes. Like I do get the occasional like. Oh yeah, my dad likes that music, and I'm just like, like that, <laughs> just stab right to the heart. But like, I do think that there is a real importance in understanding where your taste comes from. And once again, like as a middle schooler, like I held that so dear. Like I needed to yeah. everyone know, like I got I it from these like, blogs and these places. Like, like it was a, a very poser, specific source thing. Yeah, yeah it was being huge. A being a poser was, was a huge. Horrible crime. And yeah. now it's like. You know, I don't know, you just, like, look at a TikTok with, like, a roundup of, like, five songs, and, like, I guess that's my new personality, and, like, oh, yeah, I just got it from this TikTok, and it's, like, oh, it's the, what? you didn't read the book and listen to the full It's the informing your taste film. by algorithm rather than by, like, the effort that you put into curating it yourself Yeah. Um, that I think feels so, so we should like, bothersome. Bring back. <laughs> We should bring back asking people to name five songs. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Actually. <laughs> okay. Wait. So we um, the the next thing on our like I guess setting setting the scene is to be mm-hmm. and um, I like think that this was this was the era of prestige television like the golden golden age of TV. Two thousand seven mm-hmm. was when Mad Men came out. Um, Breaking Bad was 2008. Um, And yeah, I think that like something that I noticed about Prestige TV when I was looking at the um, different shows that were coming out from like 2006 to 2009, 2010, is that they're all like very white or have mostly white casts, um, Mm -hmm. which was like, I think different from the shift that happened in music, like in, in the nineties, just like R and B was really big. Like there were a lot of sitcoms and TV shows that had black people in them. And then the two thousands, it kind of falls off. Um, and that's, I think only been something that's changed in the past couple of years. Like I'm not expecting Mad Men to have people of color in it. I don't, I don't know if that, if that would be any good. Um, uh, but there were just like, there was no equivalent to, to that, that had like Mm -hmm. a more diverse cast or like a cast with like a black lead. And I think it's just interesting that like TV didn't catch up with music there. And it might be because like, it's not that it's easier to break into the music industry, but there's a lot more gatekeeping involved, um, with like like, being a screenwriter or an actor or a director. Yeah. Film and TV, I think moves much slower than music, you know, even if you just think about like production timetables or something like that, like. And there definitely, there was no, like, diversity casting. Like, no one was, like, checking boxes, you know, in the way that, like, obviously we see. I just saw there was, like, I don't know, some, like, kerfuffle about, um, like, some new show that had, it's, like, a historical show, but it has, like, diversity casting in a way that, like, does not make sense for the time and place. And I was talking to a friend about, like, who, like, writes about TV and stuff about this. And, like, I feel like I first noticed that, like, the first kind of like inclusion casting, like in a period, the Hamilton like, effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like Bridgerton was the first time that I was like, "Wait, what the fuck?" But then I was like, "Well, this is so 
like fantasy doesn't matter but like that movie like the northmen people were talking about that it wasn't like Mm -hmm. inclusive but like would you like do you need diversity and like a story about like a scots tribe or what i don't even know it was Mm -hmm. like about like it's literally it's a retelling of Macbeth, but as like norse mythology yeah i did see it Well, and yeah. I, I think that the, like, prestige TV thing kind of, like, points out, like, like there could be, like, an equivalent to Mad Men, like, something that is just as good, that, like, is a story written to have uh, people of color in the cast. And I think that what is happening for the most part now is, like, the the Hamilton thing. Yeah. Um, it used to be something only, like, Kenneth Braun would minute, do. People deciding last minute that they need to, like, throw some Black people in somewhere. And then, uh, like... I, I think in the case of Hamilton is like pretty gross to make uh, black people portray like Honestly. slave owners. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not as, it's as like, gross as that, but it just feels like, Oh, this was an afterthought in the casting department rather yeah. than like the way that this was written to be. With the new, like I was talking to my, my friend I mentioned earlier, like we were talking about like the gossip girl reboot and how they like, Oh, and we were talking about the, like the Dimes Square reality show about how, but first, but first, Gossip Girl reboot about how they made it diverse, but they didn't add any like complexity of race into like what it would mean to be at a prestigious Upper East Side high school, maybe being like a student who's got like very well educated parents who have who maybe you come from like some lineage of like privilege but you're still like surrounded by mostly white people white families like that would be I didn't even watch the new Gossip Girl because it looked so weak but like at the same time too I was like why are we like glamorizing Upper East Side people and we're just throwing this like diversity like button over it so they send them to a protest they make them go to a Black Lives Matter (laughs) protest and then and then they kiss yeah for fashion Um, like the fashion of it no that's so sick and like I don't know it it just like it doesn't like having a show about like the the spawn of ultra wealthy isn't made better by having diverse people in it like it's definitely like a classic like class versus race like kind of conversation like you can't just like color it different and it makes it okay I would love to see probably a show about like terrible rich black people I bet that would be fun yes oh my god but the show is not really written as if they are terrible rich black people it's just like they they threw some black people in last minute to to check off some boxes which is annoying Mm -hmm. Um, because it's disingenuous because you're not actually taking the time to like write a realistic character writing a stock character and then casting a certain looking person with stock character yeah yeah and I think as I was looking at the list of like prestige tv shows it uh was making me think about something else where like um I feel like tv is getting bad right now yeah oh, it's and terrible the, and that tv tv got it's pretty data. good there's too much data in, in like it, 2006 to like I, I don't know uh 20 2012 2013 and I think it because it it like had to get good because it coincided with everyone getting rid of their like cable packages and people torrenting and so like the shows really needed to give people a reason to to tune in um and I think that we're we've slid back to everyone's got Netflix or Hulu or something so there's not this kind of like we need to give people a reason to continue like watching the show that we have um, because instead it's just about like 
making sure that people continue paying for their Hulu subscription. Um, I think similarly to like the way that cable TV shows or like cable networks um, prior to, I don't know, 2006, 2007, didn't need to have like appointment television. They just needed to have like enough good things um, so that people would maintain their cable package. I know. And now that the, like the streaming companies are also like production houses and they make all their, like they make most Mm -hmm. of what they host. Whereas it used to be a different business model before. Like they hosted other people's content and their business was hosting, you know, but now they're also like production houses. And I feel like they just have so much data about, where people stop watching, where people like keep watching, how far people mm-hmm. like the behaviors of like you and your remote, like in relation mm-hmm. to the show. And then they can optimize to be like, okay, well like postmortem on selling sunset season five, like here's where like we saw the most drop-offs and like watching. So that, and that's what we analyze these scenes. Like that is the conversations mm-hmm. that are happening and it makes everything just even more programmed and precise and like less artistic and interesting risky and oh, not and only that definitely written for screenshots yeah uh, yeah <laughs> not only that but but um so much of tv was like like the whether a tv show was going to get renewed renewed or not was based on like dvd sales you know mm-hmm. whether you would get like a season where whether people would buy a season or a box set of this television show like will people keep buying it then we'll keep making it but like now you have an entire subscription, you just have one flat rate subscription to a bunch of different TV shows. And the evidence that they have for how many people are watching at what time doesn't really reflect how many people want the show and want to keep it. I mean, we've had that, and not to mention like the fact that so much of like people's livelihoods and people's work um, can just get taken off the platform and never seen again. Um, by anyone for and for like a numerous amount of reasons. We've seen that recently in the last couple of weeks with the HBO Max debacle. They've been taking down like so many different TV shows in order to make a tax break and also to um, suppress union efforts. Um, and in doing so, like a lot of people, at least people that I know, and like this has been something that's been reflected in reports that like a lot of people are quitting like the animation industry. A lot of people are quitting the film industry um, after that happened, because they feel like, well, if my work could just get taken down at any moment and never seen again, and like nobody has like a physical copy, nobody has like their own downloads of it, like, what's the point? Like, like years of my livelihood could be gone in a second for yeah petty this reasons. Is, it's really weird, even just like looking back. Like a lot of the stuff I was googling for this had to be like Wayback Machine links. Because so mm-hmm. much stuff hasn't been preserved. Tons of just, like, broke, like, the link loads, but the gallery is some kind of old technology that the website doesn't use anymore, so the gallery doesn't load. Like, you really do have to, like, archive your own work. And, like, you cannot expect things to, like, we're all like, oh, things will live online forever. It's, like, a threat. But you also, like, kind of, like, the things you want to be online randomly won't. And, like, you do need to make, like, your own copies of your work because... And the thing is that, like, these companies don't owe you anything. Like, they can do whatever they want. Just not that that's right. Just, like, be aware of it and, like, act accordingly. I download an archive of my uh, Tumblr blog, like, every year. Not even kidding. Yeah. Like, I, just, I, I do Same. that because, like, Cause... I just, I want to keep it. 
Like there's just stuff yeah. I want to keep and I keep it on like a hard drive and I update it every once in a while to make sure that like it doesn't because like become non-functional. Might redirect go down. to fucking google.com or something like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, there are so many websites and it's the same that thing bought. with. Oh, this it, is my, I get angry every time when I think about Polyvore and how it's, uh, oh, it's gone. Oh, I loved like, Polyvore. What <laughs> like, is my favorite, and, and like, it meant so redirects. much to me. Yeah, <laughs> very upsetting. I think that that's actually, like, a good segue maybe to, like, our digital media section um, where uh, at the at the time, what did we have? We had MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, SoundCloud, YouTube, um Hulu and Netflix were out already, which is, I was surprised by that. I didn't know that Hulu was already a thing. And obviously, you can still like, order DVDs on Hulu store. if you know what to do, by yeah. the way. Yeah. You're an old person. <laughs> but I, I think, like, only Facebook of those was a top visited website in 2008. And it was below um, Blogger, which I have <laughs> not heard of um, for, like, most what? popular social media in 2008. <laughs> yeah. Blogger is, like, where all the, like, blogs were hosted. Like... <laughs> Yeah, outside oh, of like yeah. WordPress and LiveJournal, it was it yeah. was Blogger. It was like yeah. king. Oh my god! See, I I knew about WordPress, but I, I like I don't think I knew anyone with a blogger in two thousand eight. But I also didn't have a Facebook in two thousand eight either. Like, um, I think so. Like social media as a as a platform was still like a pretty new concept for people. It was still um, social and not something networking that, before. Yeah, was and I think media. not something that. Like, I was pretty online in 2008, and I had no desire to make a Facebook because I didn't see the point of it. Um, but I think that, like, Facebook and, and 2008 was, like, the beginning of the end for forums. Um, and I think maybe that's, like, part of why it became popular. But, like, 2004 is what marks the beginning of Web 2. I was um, literally web- just going to Google, when did Web 2 start? <laughs> Yeah. Web one, like was when the internet began and the the way that the shift is noted is that web one is like passive consumption of content. It's like personal web pages, um, or like using free hosting sites like Photo Bucket, but like not really interacting with the person that has the the web page. Um and web two is like the shift to more dynamic content. So if someone had a personal web page, like having a comment section on there that you could you could make use of, or like being in a forum, um, but it still took technology like a while to catch up to the ideas of Web two. Like you still needed to know basic HTML to like participate in a lot of these places. You had to have some like general tech literacy in the early years of Web two, but you could like be social and share your interests without having to make your own web page. And so that's where you see things like Tumblr coming to existence or, or WordPress or live journal, where it's like, you're not, you're not creating entirely your own page, but you're still pretty in charge of running it. Um, but you're like getting to have the community aspect of like being in a forum or like running something yourself without doing all of that work. Um, like and so I, yeah, I feel like, you know, go ahead. Important to note that like, like the iPhone came out in 2007, but just because it was out did not mean that smartphones were ubiquitous. Like, oh yeah, no, this was no not, way. And that's part of the reason that these social media platforms existed, but they weren't filling the time of like sitting on the toilet and shitting. You know what I mean? Or like walking mm-hmm. down the street staring at your phone. Like that mm-hmm. time was still unoccupied, and so it takes the smartphone becoming like 
affordable and ubiquitous for those apps to like, or those websites or those companies to like come into existence as we know them now. Because when it was just like, you have to sit down at a computer and do all of this stuff like on your computer, like people just didn't sit at their computers the same way that they don't sit in front of screens. And it's so weird because it's not that long ago, but it was still like the screen was still less of your life than it was even by like 2013 or something. Mm hmm. Yeah. And my parents were well, still been... complaining about how much time I spent on the computer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was obscene, like, to them. Yeah. 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 And two, well, in 2008, the most sold cell phone was not the iPhone. It was the Razer. Um, and BlackBerry, like, ranks, but it's it's not in the top five. Uh, in 2008, I'm pretty sure that the iPhone was still an AT&T exclusive. Because I think that it it only became something that you could get on other providers like 2012. Um, and so, like, that's why we don't get Instagram until 2010 or Snapchat until 2011, which are, like, both and there wasn't, like, uh, platforms you needed a phone for. Like, you couldn't finance an iPhone the way now that yeah, you, you just, just had to drop a grand. 40 or $50. Like, they were expensive and there was no way besides having, like, a personal line of credit that you wouldn't pay up front for it. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think that, like, having like financing options also made smartphones like especially like iphone like yeah affordable to be able to pay a monthly rate than have to drop yeah like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars or something on something that they yeah. didn't already like didn't have it wasn't like oh i'm upgrading from this thing i already have it's like this thing doesn't even exist in my life why would i spend a thousand dollars on but it unless I i'm a tech like person yeah, at that time, like the the iPhone seemed like a really huge luxury that was not something also that was like that necessary. It was like, um, it would be cool to spend a, a grand on it if you had a grand, but it didn't seem like a, a thing that I needed to have. Um, I remember being. On I know that. Twitter. Twitter was out at the time too, but who was using Twitter in two thousand eight? Because like, that's that's a for phones only kind of platform to me. I think I can't imagine people sure. scrolling on their computer tweeting. Oh, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I love the desktop. I really do. I'm like used to it. It's bigger. I can afford My spouse desktop. loves the desktop. <laughs> they love the desktop. I get I, lost in what I'm doing on the phone. I like forget what I was doing and thought I'm doing something else. I was trying to remember when the when like the first time I got like an iPhone or a smartphone was, and I think it was 2013. It was my senior year of high school, and I like that was also the first time I got my own personal laptop because my parents were like, once again, they did not like how much I was using the computer. I got a lot of talks about internet addiction, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I think that was the first time I got like a smartphone. I was so like beyond excited that like I had this crazy like device that I could like that was just like a mini computer in my pocket like I thought that was like super like the coolest thing but they were still like obviously like square rectangles like they did they had the hard edges and everything it's wild to just think about like how really wasn't that long ago yeah. really not like <laughs> I also started working when I was like I think 15 for so that I basically what I wanted spending my money on was um a sidekick and, like, a really predatory, Ooh. like, T-Mobile account. I don't even know how I was able to open this, like, in my own name. But, like, the sidekick, which I probably got in, like, 2006 or something like that, maybe 2005, was, like, life. Like, it was amazing because it had its own, like, you could only message through the sidekick, like, kind of like BBM, where, like, 
you couldn't mm-hmm. message other devices. So like you had to be in the in-group and own the product to be able to like message on this certain service. And that definitely felt like this, I don't know, the sidekick was so important to me. I can't overstate it. I've never loved a phone more. I miss gadgets. Just yeah. gadgets. <laughs> Like, I, I do miss when tools. everyone had a different yeah. kind of phone and yeah. it was like kind of a it was like a big deal about like which phone you had and you, mm-hmm. you could like compare and who had a the better color one. of phone I, you had was a huge thing like yeah oh, you we both have a sidekick but do you have the pink one yeah like, that one is sold out like you know that kind of thing Ugh. but yeah, I think like so it seems like 2008 was like when uh like blogging also started to like decline but it was still really big at the time like I think yeah because because if web one was about like running your own web page and having it be like a thing that passively consume like people consume and web two is when people are like more dynamically engaging with it like 2008 is when a lot of the people I know like shifted from a uh, live journal to tumblr where they were on like lookbook.new mm. um And I think that like Tumblr kind of like married the personalization of web one where you're like creating your own like page from your personal Tumblr URL, but like, and you could do whatever you wanted on that page, but then the posts and like the reblogs of everyone that you followed would all show up on one dashboard rather than like having to click around and make a web ring. Um, And I think just like the, the internet started moving there to becoming more and more like streamlined and things being in one place and also like I guess it had the effect of becoming mobile friendly um but when people complain about how we only have four websites it's like this this was why it was like this the shift was happening um Mm -hmm. but yeah Facebook like even though it was not the number one social media in 2008 by 2009 like in January it was and so like 2008 was when it had like this really explosive growth and I think it's for me, its popularity really marks a shift in like how people interacted with online because not only are there no like opportunities for you to learn um, like any kind of like digital literacy, like because you're not customizing anything about your page the way that you would with a MySpace besides just your profile picture. It also broke tradition with all of the other social media platforms by requiring you to um, make an account with your real name and like share Mm -hmm. a picture of yourself. And I think that was really, really unusual at the time. Um, Like not everyone was anonymous everywhere online, but you had uh, a lot of freedom with like how anonymous you could get to be. Mm -hmm. And like Facebook's ascent kind of like marks to me when people started merging their online personas with their, with their real life ones. Um, and the internet just stopped being a place that was like thought of of where anonymity would would thrive like um and i think because facebook aimed to be everything like have everything that its users could want to do on one place um it like stopped growth in on on forums and on like blogs um to an extent because people were doing all of that uh in one section like I think everyone I know stopped using photo bucket after a certain point because you could just upload your photos to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I was thinking about is that I feel like Facebook killed influencers for a little bit. Like there oh, were like the style bloggers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there were like MySpace celebrities. There mm-hmm. were like style bloggers for, and, and then I feel like that kind of 
character like disappeared for a little bit until YouTube yeah. made bloggers a big deal and then Instagram. But like there were, there, I think there were a couple years where like we stopped hearing about and being introduced to characters that were just becoming famous from their online persona. I wonder if that jump from 2008, 2009 is when you used to have to have like a .edu email address to join Facebook. And I wonder yeah. if that no longer being a requirement is how they wound up gaining like that market share or whatever by just getting oh, definitely. more stuff. Because it's so funny, like Jeffree Star, like I do remember when he was like a MySpace celebrity and it is like, yeah, yeah Jeffree Star just was like, became completely dormant, never heard about this person. Like, and then all of a sudden was like a YouTube and then, like, way beyond that. And, like, it kind of feels like the Cobra Snake coming back where I'm like, oh, my old friend, like, you're back in the mix. Where'd you go? Like, <laughs> even though I've, I've never had a particular, I love the scene queens, which is one thing that hasn't really mm-hmm. come back. Like, in the way, I don't know, I'm sure it will eventually, but, like, um, this one girl, like, Jack... Jack Vanek, I think her name was. And she was friends with... Um, and she was just, like, ultra skinny, long, bleach blonde hair, like, tank top cut, like, so low on the sides. Like, just your, you know, with the stripes and the bleached hair, like, perfect, like, anorexic scene queen. <laughs> like, and her friend Audrey or whatever. Oh, my God, this is taking well, me back. Audrey Kitching? Yes! And they I were, like... <laughs> obsessed with Audrey yes! Kitching at the and time. they were friends and with... And Hannah Beth. Yeah! Oh, um, Hannah! Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. These oh were God. all people that were very important to me. And yes. they were famous seemingly just for, like, being on MySpace mm-hmm. and then getting to be attached to people that were in bands. Yeah. But they didn't do anything... They, they just, like, have, were like, on MySpace like, little... and then got somehow in, like, with... That's with... why when people say, yeah. like, oh, Kim Kardashian invented being an influencer, invented being <laughs> famous for being famous, I'm like, no, she was a... That was something that was happening, and it was going to happen to someone, and she's the person who happened to embody, like... Well, and there were that. so many socialites in the early 2000s also, and I think that, like, she... She just got like she did something really smart with the the reality show that she had like right when the writer strike was happening because that was two thousand seven mm-hmm. when Keeping Up with the Kardashians came out. Yeah, and the whole reality. And I, I, I'm sure that she didn't plan it, but just that that people needed something to watch. She was already like kind of known, and then there was nothing but reality TV for a while in two thousand seven. So, but she yeah she was already already famous for being famous. The last thing about like the internet that I pointed out and then you corrected me, um, which is I like, now that I've thought about it, it's, it makes a lot of sense, but like memes and viral moments, like they moved so, so, so slow um, where I feel like a YouTube video would become popular and people would still be showing it to you and laughing for months later in a way that just like, does not happen now. Um, you can see this. You can see this visually tracked. There are quite a few videos where you can like see a meme timeline um, of like different histories of memes, and it'll like show you the timeline of like how long this meme was around, and then it'll pop back up, and then it'll come back down. There are memes that like will would get recycled, well, like I mean, occasionally. It's not just like viral moments that are uh, exclusively online based too but stuff that like becomes viral because of online i um will have to share it but there's a, a 
some very funny like Google Trends graph that I tweeted a couple of days ago that is uh, the amount of searches for Olivia Rodrigo, like of all time, the amount of searches for Harambe, um, and then the amount of searches for like Coney 2012. And it's like Olivia has yet to, to beat out uh, Coney 2012 like she's not even close um <laughs> and I th- <laughs> and it's just like like I think that like these moments of like virality they had like a longer lifespan that that led to like more people spending time on them and looking looking them up but um I think it, it's because like you couldn't before everyone was on Facebook or everyone was like assumed to be on the same social media. Like if you wanted to share something that you thought was funny with people that you knew in real life, you had to like actually show them in real life, which meant taking a couple days to show it to all of your friends. Um, And so like the fastest that I think something would take before everyone knows about it would have to be a couple months because not everyone is that online. Mm Uh, where they're going to know about the funny YouTube video, like the day it comes out. The first thing I thought about when you put that note in the doc is I was like, oh, people didn't even use those words yet. Like me was not common parlance and viral moment was like not the way that people like even like concepted of things because we still were in an era of having like a singular mass culture. When you talked about memes, it was, it was still images. It was macro images. It was the, you know, confused cat or like yeah. you know overly protective girlfriend or whatever and it was just like a still image and text and that was something that you had to know if you were just like on the internet already um and then maybe someone would save that image and then email it to your grandma or whatever um but like most of the time like a meme at that time was just cons- classified as just one of those macro images most of the time like most of, of had- memes were not that you kind they were of just had like... to be like an early adopter, which meant either that you were a kid, like using computers, or you were an older person who liked technology and just happened to like be into computers. But like, if you were someone like who wasn't already acclimated to this stuff and like smartphones weren't already in your pocket and stuff, there's no reason that you would interface with these things unless like someone showed them to you, because. Not everyone was, like, walking around with, like, a little, you know, information box all day. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that's where, like, the the age difference of just a couple of years starts mattering. Because when I was 12, like, what was I going to do with my time after school? Um, so I was just, I was just online because I wasn't as in charge of my social life as I, like, was even a few years later. Um, and so I think I was like very early inundated with like access to like, and like memes and like funny YouTube yeah. videos and stuff. But if I was like yeah. 19, I would be hanging out with my friends. Wait, did um, they teach you I would guys... not be on my computer. Yeah. Did they teach you guys on um, like computer skills or was yeah. that just like implicit? So that's, that's one of the things that got lost in the recession was that like pretty much every school's like computer teacher um, was cut, like, if you went to a public school post-2008. And I think that's another, like, marker of age difference that can, it it gets really obvious with people that are just a couple years younger than me, where um, everyone around my age and older will have some basic, like, computer literacy that has, you know, and then you've got no interest in, like, tech or anything. You just, like, had to learn a couple of those things when you were in school. Um, And then people that are four or five years younger than me, they learn those things by like taking a class like 
after like after school or like on their own time that's like related to to tech mm-hmm. stuff it's like a specialized interest rather than one that's just generally taught yeah i will say that coming from someone with a spouse in currently in like the education like s- sphere like they're trying the to bring, know, like a lot of the cult- computers well, the kids don't know how to use computers, A. They all have iPads and Chromebooks that are given to them by the school. But schools are trying to, like, at least in, like, the talks of, like, education, like, educators and stuff, like, there's a lot of schools that are trying to move towards creating computer classes again, but for annoying reasons. And the annoying reasons being that they want more kids to, like, be interested in STEM so that they'll all get tech jobs like the the whole point of like tech uh class like computer classes when we were kids was just so like that we would learn how to type and like you know do basic word processing like so that we could do you know in the end so that we could do basic office work but not like become part of silicon valley and and gain a high value job this was like this was a new technology that was clearly going to become something everyone was using and you didn't necessarily like I think it was definitely just like, oh, we're setting the kids up for the future. Like, they got to know how to operate these computers, you know. But now, like, I don't think you really need to teach kids, like, how to, like, operate this machinery the way that you, like, kind of want to. Well, I think people think that... They want, like, programming classes in schools, which is, like, okay. I think people think that because, like, young people grow up using technology that they're just going to be, like, inherently good at it. And there was this, like idea that was constantly getting thrown around when I was a kid that kids are just like naturally really good at computers or something because they're used to using them but um I think that you can see that that now that people that are just a couple years younger than me like have no idea what they're doing because they were just expected to always Mm. be good at it and so weren't taught um like a lot of really basic stuff and uh they know how to use apps um but but like the the like Facebookification of people's like experience with online meant that they had to do less work of like building yeah. their own experience on the internet, which means that you just like don't have to learn as much about what goes on um, behind the scenes in order to to make what it is that you're seeing. Yeah. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. When I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Walter. When I hit the smoke, I feel like a dope. Dope. Yeah, I like green because it makes me mean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When I'm getting high, then it's time to smoke. When I'm smoking loud, then it's time to blow clouds. Okay, Paypigs and Prayer Warriors, we are two hours into the recording. You're welcome once again for the litany of content we give you on our erratic schedule. Um, and we're going to be, um, doing a part two because we were just about to get into the fashion section. And that's a whole other can of worms that we, uh, want to open on like an entirely separate episode. So in the meantime, um, Nicole, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I guess, um, listen to my podcast. It's called Identity Crisis. It's on all the platforms. There's like a lot of podcasts with that name. Um, but it's the one with like a picture of like a deflated, angel decoration and Cerise and I did an episode um called 2014 historical revisionism um and yeah I'm sure that if you liked this you would definitely like that so yeah just listen to my podcast awesome amazing so 
things that we're gonna plug. Uh, check out. <laughs> I, I I always try to remember the litany of things merch. we have. We have merch. We have merch. We have that's, merch. Yeah. That's and awesome. if you're like not following us on social media, like it's too it's too late. We don't want mm-hmm. you to follow us anymore. <laughs> But we're we're big soy naturals everywhere, um, mm-hmm. and I'm commodify this everywhere. And Kendall, what are you again? I am she Herzog. Uh, leave us a review on cool. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can leave reviews on Spotify now. Um, you know, we talked about the algorithm being a problem, and it's a problem for us too. And we we kind of need to be boosted. So if you yeah, leave more, us a review, that'd be great. The more reviews we get, the more the algorithm likes us. So yeah, you have to do it. Once again, okay. we're Big Soy Naturals everywhere. Check out our website. It's linked in the bio. Check out our Patreon. It's linked in the bio. Um, and send us an email at bigsoypodcast at gmail.com if you want to. You can talk to us about anything. Um, we might not answer, but it's there. Um, all right. Bye. 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 I need can answer. He's to teach me what to think. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. Smoke the sea, cause I'm such a fiend. High as a kite, smoking Walter White. When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple. Smoking on the blunt, cause I wanna run. Smoking on the green, cause it makes me lean. Smoking on the ground, I smoke and scream. When I hit the blunt, it's a paper cut. When I hit the blunt, I give a fuck. When I hit the blunt, I don't give a fuck. I don't wanna smoke, I just wanna smoke. 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 When I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Walter. When I hit the smoke, I feel like a dope. Dope. Yeah, I like green because it makes me lean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When I'm getting high, then it's time to smoke. When I'm smoking loud, then it's time to blow clouds. When I hit the blunt, I don't give a fuck. When I hit the blunt, so like, give a fuck. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. 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 This so in naturals.